0: Hey guys, welcome, welcome back, how we doing? It's Jawad here with Hit The Apex Podcast and hello to 2021, bit of a long time coming, (laughs) kind of procrastinated to get back into podcasting, you know, I wasn't going to come back on air back in January or February where there was, you know, probably only a couple of things to talk about per week and here we are after first pre-season test, or the only pre-season test for F1, and there's plenty to talk about, you know, so, you know, it was nice to take a bit of a break as well, I hope everyone else had a a nice New Year break, Christmas break, whatever you guys did, summer, winter, whichever part of the world you're on, Um, I know my break was fantastic, actually getting to go away for Christmas, spending Christmas with my partner and her family was amazing, and then a couple of weeks in Adelaide, then ended up going to Sydney as well to see my own folks, which I haven't done for um, over a year, and then another lockdown here in Melbourne, lockdown 3.0, that was um, actually good fun considering it was nice to just have another week off work and sit at home, build some Lego, but now, back to the nitty-gritty serious stuff, you know, back to racing, back to Formula 1, V8 supercars, whatever we're going to have on this show, you guys know the drill. If you're not familiar with us or with me, just feel free to go through um, some old shows. I talk about racing, you know, it's very low-key, I don't, I just, yeah, talk about what I like and it happens to be Formula One, I like V8 supercars... Uh, Motor GP as well, Sports Car Racing, Formula E, a new thing that I've gotten into, um, courtesy of my mates at the Regen E Racing Podcast, who are no longer around, but still love talking to the guys there, um, IndyCar as well, you know, it's, it's all there, but I'm not going to try and cram everything in, you know, if I don't really um, watch it all, but yeah, we'll see how we go this year, so let's kind of break it up today because I do have a lot on the plate to talk about and everything and I was going to go over some talking points from the preseason and the off-season to start things off, Um, bits of news that caught my attention and stuff that I wanted to discuss that I've been just kind of sitting here brewing, uh, mulling over as well, just getting my thoughts together and then of course pre-season testing there in Bahrain last week and take away some of the key points from that and then also we've got some supercar racing on this weekend at Sandown so I'll go over that as well um, right at the end and Sandown will be my first live motorsport event in over 12 months so I'm not going to include the Australian Grand Prix which of course was kind of uh, this time last year where it all went down Friday the 13th of March Uh, the cancellation and everything whilst I was there and got to see all the drivers and um, teams and everything I didn't actually get to see a car on track you know they were doing things in the background with the support categories but I was busy doing my own thing um, work-wise so yeah it was Bathurst last year the 12 hour in February the last live motor race I did get to go to so it'll be exciting to go to Sandown this weekend on Sunday and watch some Super Sprint Racing so, lots to talk about then from the preseason. You know, things from the calendar being rejigged a little bit to um, some team personnel changes as far as management is concerned at some of the big teams. Um, sprint races have been a topic as well, which has been ongoing as well. Um, some news on 2025 and the engine um, formula, what it's going to look like. And also to start things off, you know, a bit of sad news just in the last um, couple of days. So, saturday night sunday morning here in australia we had the terrible news that murray walker had passed away age 97 the voice of formula one um there's been tributes all over um social media and online and you know even during the final day of testing during the broadcast you know guys like martin brundle and stuff giving their um fondest memories of working with murray walker and just Iconic that voice, you know. Any Formula One fan or any racing fan would love listening to Murray. He often didn't, you know, a lot of the time when he would have what we call the Murrayisms, you know, where he got things wrong, you know, he'd do endless research on things but then just his enthusiasm would take over during the commentary and sometimes he would uh blurt out the wrong thing but that's why we loved him you know because he had that enthusiasm and passion and everything um i was putting a comment up uh somewhere the other day where i said you know i really enjoyed watching that um lap that he did or hot lap that he did with brad jones here at bathurst in 1997 brad jones took him around in an audi um, and during that, you know, he was commentating his own hot lap, so that was quite special, I thought, you know, just from a, um, a local perspective, and then some other weird and wonderful things, you know, he did a Pizza Hut commercial with Damon Hill as well, so that was, um, quite <laughs> hilarious, but just when you look at all his, his commentary and everything, is like uh, the iconic moments, you know, you don't forget the one with Damon Hill there, when Hill won the championship in 96, Um, about him having a lump in his throat, so, you know, that's, I think we all feel that way at the moment with with the news, and then, of course, last night just came out of nowhere as a bit of a shock, the queen of the Nürburgring, Sabine Schmitz, passed away too, having had a long, lengthy battle with cancer, I think it was, um, since 2017, and, you know, she's a two-time winner of the 24 hours of Nürburgring GT race, you know, any race around the Nordschleife circuit is just insane, you know, crazy and two-time winner, a real, real pioneer, you got to say, for females in motorsport as well, such a strong character and yeah, I'm sure um, a lot of people will miss her and it was good to see all the tributes that came in for her as well to show how um, loved, much loved character she was and how much of an impact she has had on the industry, so yeah, that was a bit sad, especially just heartbreaking considering it just came out of the blue that one she was only 51 years old too so yeah that was a bit sad to start off this week but um alas we move on and uh the calendar for this year so we know we knew from the get-go it was going to be 23 races um but we had a few tbas and stuff like that which have now been sorted so if people haven't been following the news um here locally, I guess, you know, Australian news and in Melbourne with um, the latest on COVID and all that, because yeah, COVID's still around, (laughs) that thing, Um, we actually saw the Australian Grand Prix postponed to November this year, so rather than being the first round, which it would have been this weekend, I think, um, yeah, we would have been there this weekend, Um, it's been pushed down the calendar to November, which I think was a good decision considering the real kerfuffle with the tennis, you know, and the players all complaining about their quarantine hotels and everything, you know, it's like, guys, just, just, please be a bit more tough, you know, you're getting paid millions of dollars, what's, you know, a couple of weeks in, in a hotel going to do, you know, quarantine and everything, so, and considering when you hear stories of actual, just people who've come back from overseas and have been forced to do 14 days quarantine, and the fact that they've got to pay for their own hotels, you know, sometimes costing up to $5,000, and then the kind of rooms that they get are like dungeons, basically, jail cells, and these tennis players probably get the, the best of the best, and they still complain, it's just like, no wonder I don't really like tennis and the people involved, because they're just pretty precious, it seems. So, from that perspective, and given the logistics involved as well with Albert Park, all the marshals, all the people getting everyone over here for the first race of the season and going through all the quarantine laws, I think sensible to delay that to November, it's going to be similar weather anyway in November that it is here in March at the moment, this week has been really up and down, just humid, I think November might be a bit more nicer and pleasant when we get to that time of the year, so it'll be the third last race of the season, um, coming after Brazil to Australia so hopefully you know we still have a championship on the line when we do make it to Melbourne and hopefully Melbourne could be a championship decider given how things have gone in the past few years anyway see maybe an eight-time world champion crowned (laughs) more on that anyway in another edition but some other significant changes so Bahrain obviously now becomes the first race of the season that'll be next weekend the 28th then a couple of um cool venues from last year stand-in venues will come in for the next two races April 18 we go back to Imola so they haven't actually named the Grand Prix yet but I just said yeah it's the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix like it was last year and of course Portimao returns for May the 2nd which I think would have been the Chinese Grand Prix or the Vietnamese Grand Prix but they're not happening Um, and then it's just the usual favorites Barcelona, Monaco, Azerbaijan then go to Canada Uh, which will be on Queen's birthday weekend for us here, France, Austria, Britain, Hungary, Belgium, so between Hungary and Belgium, we'll have our mid-season break, and then between Belgium and Italy, they're not going to be back-to-back this time, we're going to have um, the Netherlands, so the Dutch Grand Prix will move down there, Russia, Singapore, Japan, the US, Mexico, Brazil, then Australia, the debut of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix there in Jeddah, and Abu Dhabi, finishing off that monster season down on the 12th of December so it's going to be a long year you know and we've said all along I've said all along that you know I'm not a fan of having this many races particularly not from my selfish perspective but from the perspective of people working for the teams you know the engineers the media people the support people catering and all that who have to be away from home for that much time you know is it really worth it you know and I think from a financial perspective of course they're going to say it's worth it because more races means more dollars more profit for Formula One as a business and that would mean in turn for the teams it'll be more business but the human cost that's involved I think that's where I become a little bit more concerned about it but you know, we managed to do, was it 21 or 22 races a couple of years ago, 2019, before we had the COVID pandemic hit, so, and the dream for Liberty Media was to get up to 25 races a season, so in the next couple of years, so, you know, it's only going to get bigger, but we'll see how this year goes, I mean, COVID is still very unpredictable, um, We could still lose a couple of races this year. Who knows? It was good to hear as well that, you know, somewhere like Monaco, which could have been a bit of a risk, um, given how you basically got to shut down the entire principality to set up the race and everything, that they've already started construction on the circuit, how they're going to keep everyone socially distanced when, you know, most of the weekend is just one big party. But it's good to see that they're figuring that out, and um, we will be going to Monaco this year. We ended 2020 with Lewis Hamilton still not having signed a new contract for this year and beyond. It eventually got signed, I think late January or maybe even early February, it was, but it was only a one year deal that they agreed to. Um, Hamilton pretty much emphasized how he wants to work with Mercedes in the future. in regards to diversity and promoting equality and all the causes that he is trying to champion, so does that mean 2022 he's going to step down from driving, or is he going to be there in 2022 again, are they going to do one-year deals, um, I've been playing out this scenario in my head and trying to figure out what might happen at Mercedes next year, because, You've got George Russell waiting in the wings, he's not going to want to spend a fourth year at Williams next year, so either Mercedes risk losing him or promote him to a race seat, is he going to get along well with Hamilton, Hamilton's always wanted Bottas there, so if Hamilton decides to say, "Nah, that's me, done from racing full time, I want to work on my other projects and everything, then that's where I think, yeah, Mercedes will get out um, or promote George Russell to the team, and possibly even pull out the checkbook and say, let's go up, go after Max Verstappen, because if Verstappen doesn't win the championship this year with Red Bull, you know, and a seat becomes available at Mercedes, why wouldn't you go after it, so that's one potential scenario there, but, you know, the year is going to be long, and I think this question's going to be asked quite a few times by the press and uh, anyone wanting to know, but yeah, for now, we've got Hamilton pen to paper, one-year deal, we'll see how we go, also there at Alpine, big news with Cyril Abidwell, um pretty much quitting the team, you know, we got the rumors um, about Davide Brivio, who was the Suzuki team boss who took them to the MotoGP World Championship last year, saying that he's going to be coming over to Alpine in, you know, some kind of executive role where, or basically taking over Cyril's team principal role, Cyril would have moved up into some kind of CEO position or executive position, but in the end he ended up out of the company altogether, so that was a bit of a shock for a lot of people, in the end the team principal role's basically been split down the middle to allow Davide Brivio into the racing director role and Charles, uh, not Charles Bogarski, <laughs> Charles Bukowski, that'd be funny if he was ever involved in Formula One, um, Marcin Bukowski, of course, from the old, uh, he's not old, but he used to work for the FIA joint Renault recently, a couple of years ago, last year, whatever, he is going to be the managing director, so they've basically split that role down at two for Alpine, and Laurent Rossi um, will be the CEO, and reporting to Luca de Maio, the Renault Group chairman, so really it's make or break for this Alpine team, I know switching to the Alpine team from Renault, or switching to the Alpine name, I should say, from Renault takes a little bit pre- a pressure off Renault themselves, but given that, you know, they've gone beyond five years into this project you need to say that something's got to give at this stage you know they had Daniel Ricciardo ditch them last year basically before they were able to turn a wheel in the season committing himself to McLaren who was probably in a similar situation where they were unproven but you know this year they've got Fernando Alonso back their two-time world champion from 2005-2006 they've got to do something this year, and they've got, you know, Brivio, who not only won Suzuki their championship last year, Drivers and uh, Teams championship, but he was, you know, there in those days where Valentino Rossi was doing really well at Yamaha, you know, winning championships there in the late 2000s, so he's got a lot of success and winning, um, culture under him, so hopefully that comes over to Alpine, and we'll see how they go there. Sprint races, now this is the, um, what do you call it, this is kind of the real sensitive topic at the moment, given that, you know, it's still yet to be determined whether we're going to have them this year or not, but it seems more and more likely that we are going to see them trialed, um, and the format that has been picked for this is that we're going to have 100 100 kilometer races on Saturday um, which will determine the grid um, for Sunday's Grand Prix. There's going to be points handed out only to the top three finishers, so three points for the winner, two and then one for the guys finishing second and third Um, and the grid for this sprint race will be determined by like the usual qualifying format which will take place on Friday instead so we'll have our first two practice sessions as normal or one practice session and then you know the one hour qualifying that we normally have at the moment and then Saturday we'll have another practice session before this 100k race and then that'll determine the grid for the actual Grand Prix on Sunday so so far they've picked out the British Grand Prix, Italian Grand Prix and Monza and Brazil as being the places that we're going to see this trialed, I'm at the stage now where let's just see how it goes, you know, if we've made it this far and committed this far, then we've got to see how it goes, you know, and then we can decide whether, then whether we like it or not, no point now going up and say, it's against the DNA of the sport, it's, you know, this, it's that, you know, it's, if they want to try it, they got to try it, I'm still of the belief that I reckon when we get this change in cars next year, the new formula comes in, we're going to get exciting racing, you know, we're going to see mixed grids, I for one really enjoyed the racing last year, we had such a diverse range of people finishing on the podium, it was a lot different than it has been in the past, you know, since 2014 when these new hybrid, or oh, they're not really new anymore, but the hybrid turbo engines came into play, so exercising patience, I guess, for another year till we see these new cars, this year we may have someone else challenged for the championship, we may have Red Bull and Verstappen up there with Mercedes, given how there's been subtle changes, but significant enough to possibly dethrone Mercedes, who knows, so I guess, you know, we just got to see how this all pans out, I'm open to seeing what the sprint races will be like, I know the detractors for it as well, from a team's perspective financially as well that yes we've got our 145 million million dollar cost cap now this year is it going to be worth it if we're not going to get any extra incentive from it but it's going to cost us more because we're putting the cars on track we're putting them in a racing scenario if we get damage on saturday in the race situation we might be out for the rest of the weekend so think about that from someone you know like a Haas you know, or Williams at the back of the grid, they might not really like that, but you never know, if they get a good result out of it, then we'll all be saying, yay, what a saviour this is for the sport and everything, but for me personally, I still think we should do like a proper top 10 shootout, you know, for, for Q3 in certain scenarios or certain circuits, like Monaco or Monza, wherever, where you give the top 10 drivers in, you know, reverse order, do one quick lap, and then that's it, you know, and I think that'll be really exciting, like we do see in the Supercars Championship, but alas, not the case, maybe they might investigate it for the future, who knows, but we're going to see these sprint races, and we're going to wait and see how they go, and then deliver our judgment then, because... You never know they might actually be really good and people enjoy it I for one you know if I was going to Silverstone for example and instead of having those lulls in you qualifying that you do on a Saturday that would be more exciting you know from someone who's there at the track to see a little race be staged you know I think that you know from a a spectator's perspective who's there on the Saturday they get a little mini race so that's kind of like a win but whether it really messes up the the grid or gives some kind of artificial result we'll just have to wait and see but you know it's got its pros and cons i can say my next point was in regards to the we races one initiative so there's been some changes to that for 2021 um the rainbow and the pre-race uh anti-racism message that we saw at every race last year where drivers some of them took a knee, some of them didn't take a knee, they're no longer going to be part of it, which I think is a bit sad, because it's, you know, the more you put it into people's heads, the more you put it in front of them, I think the message will get across, and especially the rainbow, I think that was a nice little touch, and you know, I really like that addition to it, so they've removed that sadly, but instead they have committed themselves to three new pillars, So the first pillar is to do with diversity and inclusion, um, including starting up an intern program um, for work within F1, you know, the F1 organization, you know, stronger support for female participation as well across the board, you know, whether it's with engineering or with the media driving as well, because we're going to see the... um, w series as a support category this season with f1 at certain races and i think that'll be a great way to put them on the map as well to mainstream audiences and everything that'll be really exciting to see get those drivers out there in front of the world um then you've got sustainability as well so you know looking at sustainably fueled hybrid engines that's basically where the future is going they haven't found any other solution, you know, there's no point going electric just yet, given that Formula E still hasn't, you know, quite got to the stage where they could go as quick as a Formula One car with their electric motors, hydrogen, just, you can rule that out straight away, but yeah, looking at, you know, synthetic fuels, biofuels, but also, as a sport, looking at, you know, the way freight is moved as well, trying to go carbon neutral with their freight, with their freight, sorry, pretty much banning single-use plastics, not just for fans and stuff, but, you know, in the paddocks as well, all the um, catering people and teams and everything, in the same plan that we found out about last year, about having net zero carbon by 2030, or was it 2019 that they brought that out, yeah, net zero carbon by 2030, that's still very much an agenda on the agenda, but also community as well, you know, creating positive lasting change in local communities, so that's something I think will be really important as well, so while on the outside it looks pretty careless that they've taken away the rainbow and the pre-race anti-racism message behind the scenes, they're doing all these things which, they've got to commit to I mean they started the initiative last year in response to um basically the horrible events that were going on um in the US you know and everyone had to take a stand you know because this stuff won't stand anymore and it's just horrible when you still see it happening and recently as well um recent events in the UK have been just so horrible so heartbreaking you know and really divided a lot of people and where people like Lewis Hamilton I admire so much is that they're actually taking a stand against these things using their influence and using where they stand as a platform to get the right message across I think you know for Formula One as a sport you know people who say oh sports and sports and politics shouldn't miss mix tell that to the Haas F1 team, who've basically got a Russian flag on their car this year, even though they're not supposed to have a Russian flag, so what what gives there, so use your platform for good, you know, like what Hamilton is doing, and Sebastian Vettel as well, you know, pairing up with BWT, um, best water technology for, you know, Trying to get clean water to those um, communities across the world that don't have clean water, but also he's such an advocate for people not using plastics and you know recycling correctly and all that sort of stuff. So this is where I think you know there was a lot of questions asked last year whether F1 was just doing the we races one thing to appease certain groups or were they actually going to do something serious about it long term and I think even though we don't have that rainbow anymore, we do have some kind of long-term plan that they're going to hopefully follow through on, so that's going to be really interesting to follow, and I think a lot of people will be holding them to account if they don't, so that's going to be exciting to see, but also going back to the sustainability side of things with the engines, so from 2025, of course, they're going to be There's going to be a new engine formula, so there's five points to it where environmental sustainability and social automotive relevance will be a top priority. Having a fully sustainable fuel as well, not using any more fossil fuels, just completely biosynthetic fuels, creating a powerful and emotive power unit too, because. A lot of people are still filthy about how this power unit, the V6 turbo hybrid, doesn't make the same noise as the V8s or the V10s do, you know, it's, what, how many years now since 2014, since we've had these engines and people still complain about it, like seriously, but also, importantly, for attracting new manufacturers and stuff and keeping the current manufacturers in is the, uh, having a significant cost reduction, and that in turn will make the formula more attractive to new power unit manufacturers so of course we're losing Honda at the end of this year as a manufacturer and their name will be gone but Red Bull will be taking over that project and having their own in-house um, power unit developer or just basically maintaining that same power unit that they have till 2025 where they can either choose to continue going with an in-house um, in-house project if it's cheap enough, or go out and seek the help of another manufacturer. Alright then, let's talk about some race cars on an actual race track, so pre-season testing, only three days this year there in Bahrain, which got switched from Spain, just to help the teams with um, the first race being in Bahrain, of course, as well, not having to come to Australia, and surprise, surprise, Mercedes, sorry, Mercedes actually not the fastest, or ever. Mercedes did not have a very good test at all, in fact it was Red Bull who was the fastest on track, not that we really should read into the lap times when it comes to pre-season testing, but both drivers were quite comfortable, and especially Max Verstappen, you know, not in a car that was skittish like last year, the rear end instabilities that they had, you know, Perez felt a bit more comfortable than he would have I'm pretty sure in last year's cars, they uh, racked up 369 laps as well, which is very impressive, and then Mercedes, on the other hand, they had so many issues, they had gearbox problems on the first day, which pretty much took away half a day with them, Lewis Hamilton, you know, having a few spins as well, confused by the lack of low fuel pace too, so, you know, whether we read into this as a false dawn or whether Mercedes are really in trouble, who knows, Um, I think if Mercedes are in trouble, we're going to see Red Bull have the advantage in the first couple of races, but Mercedes are the kind of team and have the resources at their disposal that they can bounce back, and I don't think that that's championship done and dusted, they'll definitely be there and I'm still going to put a tip on for, for Lewis to win an eighth championship this year, not that I'm a fanboy or anything, but that's just a fact, um, because, you know, typically we see Red Bull start a season slowly, they have to develop their way into a season, but because these cars are pretty much a carryover from last year, apart from the changes to the floor, which seems to have hurt Mercedes more than it has Red Bull, I think in the early races we should see Red Bull with the advantage, but whether Mercedes haven't really shown their hand but given by the concerned faces that we saw maybe yeah they will have some troubles in the first race we could say that Red Bull will win in Bahrain next week and possibly Imola Port and Portugal as well but I reckon it'll be a tight championship hopefully um going down to the wire and you know with Perez there now instead of Albon that Red Bull have a rear gunner to Verstappen, so that they can try a lot more strategically too, so Mercedes, yeah, just all concerned, it seemed very interesting to take away from that, you know, for for years and years, all they did was come up to the, come to testing, put on the hard tyres until the last day, and then throw in a barnstorming lap to be fastest of the test, they, on this occasion, you know, had the least amount of laps as well, so it's going to be interesting to see how they roll out into the first race, um, moving on to the other teams now, and I think, you know, McLaren, who I'm so excited about this year, uh, and with good reason too, with what you saw in testing, you know, they show that their transition to Mercedes Power was so smooth, they completed 327 laps, Daniel Ricciardo just, you know, fit like a fit like a glove, basically, into that team, there was no problems at all, or very little problems, too, so, yeah, you know, third best team on the grid this year, could easily be, given that Aston Martin had a bit of a troubled time at testing as well, you know, gearbox and turbo problems, Sebastian Vettel only completed, in total, just over 100 laps, and also was the slowest lap time holder as well, of all the regular drivers, so, you know, we don't expect Seb to be there, of course. He's gonna he's got the experience, he's a four time world champion, he should come back up there. But bit of a cause for concern, I think, the fact that they weren't able to do a lot of testing, especially for him, given that this is a completely new team and team environment that he's in, completely new car. More time would have been a lot better for him than the time he did get indeed. But then, you know, behind those two, I think those two teams should be, you know positions three and four in the championship, you know, early predictions, let's say. But then behind I think it's gonna be an interesting three way battle. We've got Ferrari there who completed a lot of laps, four hundred and four of them, and they looked a lot better than they did this time last year. But they're gonna still be stuck in the midfield. Um they've had some improvements, of course, with the power unit side. They've got some interesting stuff going on in the chassis as well. But I think they're gonna be stuck, you know, kind of around that fifth position, sixth position, fighting Alpine, Um, Alpine rolling out with that bulbous airbox, you know, Fernando Alonso looked at home as well, and joining those two, I think, will be Alfa Tauri, because they looked faster than Ferrari, of course, on your, you know, short run pace or whatever you could say, like, we can't really read into lap times, as being definitive in everything, because we don't know, you know, the tyre compounds were all different, and fuel levels as well, but, you know, just the pace that they had in those short runs seemed a lot more encouraging than Ferrari, they've got a tight package as well, tidy package I should say, not tight package... (laughs) <laughs> they are tightly packaged at the rear of the car you know because they do the size 0 things um so that's that's what you could say a tight package but it's a tidy package the front end looks completely new compared to last year and they completed the most laps as well both drivers of everyone on the grid Yuki Tsunoda fitting in really well there I think he's going to have a good year and Pierre Gasly who just continues to win over fans and everything and he's a a race winner after last year so those guys looking really handy I think you know especially when you got Alpine a factory name Ferrari another factory name there and then you've got AlphaTauri the Red Bull Junior team which probably should shake that Red Bull Junior team tag um uh about now because you know they're more than just that so you know I really like the look of AlphaTauri this year but it's hard to read into Alpine and Ferrari until we get into a race weekend I think Ferrari on paper has a great combination with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz same with Alpine as well when you've got someone like Fernando Alonso but the thing with Alonso is he wouldn't have come back to F1 if it didn't mean he was not going to be finishing on the podium and getting good results, not meandering in the midfield and finishing 5th to 10th or whatever, so they've really got to get their act together there this year, Alpine, same with Ferrari, we know the trajectory they're on, they just got to show improvement on last year, which I don't think should be hard to do, and then next year, given how much Concession we've given them basically next year's got to be the year that they are able to win the world championship. There's no excuses about it, so you know, I'm glad I'm not a Ferrari fan because then you know there'd be more expectation on them, of course. So, and then finally, we've got our last three teams Alfa Romeo, the leading backmarker, You got to say they've done a good job in the off season, I think. Uh, they spent their development tokens on the front end of the car, they've got a new nose. They're buoyed by the Ferrari power unit upgrades as well, so I think they should easily be, you know, in a position where they could be touching the back of the midfield and getting some points on a regular basis um, if cars ahead drop out or, for whatever reason, are not up there. But then you've got the likes of Haas and Williams, which, you know, let's reverse their positions. Williams and Haas, because Haas, let's make it clear, will finish bottom of the championship this year there's no doubt about it very little upgrades from last year that they've brought and they've got no developments planned for this season whatsoever so it's going to be a tough one and especially with two rookie drivers as well there Mick Schumacher a lot of hype around him which will be exciting to see and then Williams you know this gives them the opportunity to move up a place and possibly score some points because George Russell as I said before he doesn't want to be at Williams for another year you reckon he's got to move up next year definitely but some nice performances from him will be good for confidence and also there Nicholas Latifi too whether he's going to be sticking around with the team beyond this year or not is up to that so Williams a lot better this year than they were last year, they've got the funding behind them now, they've got Jost Capito as the, or Capito as the new CEO, Simon Roberts ends up as team principal full-time as well, he was the interim or stand-in team principal last year after the Williams family departed, so a lot of positivity to look forward to about Williams and with Haas just not really much apart from bit of good to Steiner antics in Drive to Survive Season 3, which comes out tomorrow too, so let's get on it, so yeah, that's really all I could take away from testing, you know, it's just testing, you know, we got to wait till we see them on track for the first time for the first race, and it helps too that the first race will be the same track, so we'll see how we go. Alright, moving it on then to supercars. So, we've already had one round of the championship this year, and I was asked if I wanted to start podcasting for the Mount Panorama 500, which was now, what, a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, and I was like, yeah, nah, sorry let me enjoy some time off a little bit longer, it was fun to get back into the writing, I did the Talking Boy article and all that, but I said, nah, we'll wait till we get closer to the start of the F1 year to do, um, podcasting, um, and I picked the best week, didn't I, where I've got a bit of a sore throat, <laughs> so I've been sipping on the teas all day, trying to just make sure it doesn't get any worse, um, we're fine, nothing, nothing Corona related, thankfully, but we're already on to round two of this championship. um, Shane van Gisbergen came out of the blocks, dominated the Mount Panorama 500, but has gone and injured himself in a mountain bike crash. He injured his, he broke his collarbone, um, and it's looking like it's going to be touch and go as to whether he actually takes part this weekend. He will fly to Melbourne and go to Sandown, but they've got Garth Tanner on standby in case Shane is not fit to race, given that he dominated and he's going to be a championship contender this year, I think missing a round will really hurt that, you know, it's 300 points that will go to his title rivals, but, you know, we'll just have to wait and see, to see how the the collarbone has healed, because, you know, it's a track that A do very well at, unfortunately Shane hasn't done as well, here is his teammate Jamie Wincup, but they will have every opportunity to see whether he can race this weekend, and it's just going to be very different, because Sandown, anyone who's watched the Sandown race over the years in supercars and has gone to Sandown for supercars, we'll know that it's typically an endurance race before Bathurst, it's 500k on the Sunday, instead we've got a super sprint format this weekend, so there'll be three 36 lap races in the two-day format, so I'm lucky that I'm going to go on Sunday, so we've got two races that day and a lot of support categories, which will be nice and exciting, especially considering I haven't done any, um, race car photography in such a long time I'm so happy to be able to go and do that Um, a cap of 7,000 people as well per day which you know they recently renegotiated with the Victorian government given that it's kind of silly how you've got a 3.1 kilometre wide open racetrack and you're only allowing this many people in where with the AFL starting up again this week you've got 50% 50% crowd capacity being allowed into the MCG which is 50,000 50, people and given that you know a lot of it is closed spaces indoors you know when you go to the bathrooms and concession stands and everything wouldn't it be safer to have more people outside at a racetrack than in, in inside a stadium but anyway I'm happy that it's not going to be a lot of people there um just a bit annoyed at how much the tickets cost and the fact that there's no general admission like, you know, being able to sit on the grass or stand on the grass and do what you do, you've got to be in the grandstand, Um so we'll see how that goes, hopefully it's a good, good view of the main straight as always and get some good photos, but just happy that we were able to go, Victorians haven't been able to see any racing, you know, even last year at all, in fact, um, so yeah, all the keen racing people will be down there. They did have um, like Shannon's Nationals or whatever it's called now there at Phillip Island last week with the the new GT World Challenge Australia Championship. They had S five thousand, they had TCR Australia as well, and this weekend I'm pretty sure they've got Porsche Carrera Cup and the S five thousand at Sandown. So that'll be exciting to see on the Sunday too. But going back to the championship. For Supercars, Jamie Wincup this year, farewell tour for him because he announced his retirement before the start of the season. Finished seventh and sixth at Mount Panorama. Can he win an eighth title this year? Look, he'll work his way into it, but I think given that Shane Van Gisbergen his teammate is a lot quicker at the moment if he can have a consistent enough year and if he gets to race this weekend too, he'll be the favourite, and then you've got guys like Chas Mostert, Cam Waters, who are the Dark Horses, the only way they're going to be able to win this year is if they actually if they actually can win some races too along the way to match the Juggernauts, you know, you've got DJR, who's a completely new team this year, um, Anton de Pasquale and Will Davison having a mixed opening weekend there at, at Bathurst, DNF for Anton in the first race and then finishing fourth, podium for Davo in the first race and then finishing seventh, so you can't rule those guys out either, they've got fast cars still, they've got a couple of the best engineers as well and those drivers are pretty handy too, so I wouldn't rule those guys out, so it's going to be a very interesting battle, but I also am excited about the likes of Team 18 this year, you know, Mark Winterbottom, very much up there, he's consistent, he wants some podiums, he wants some wins this year, so Wolf Scott Pye, I'm sure, Bryce Fullwood looked really, really good too, and only his second year in the sport this year, but also Tim Slade at the Blanchard Racing Team, you know, new team for this year, of course, Tim Blanchard setting up his own operation with a cool drive backing, and Out of the Tickford stable, basically, or they're using the Tickford garage at the race, but they have their own um, base as well. And just heartbreak for them at Bathurst, you know, with uh, Sladey crashing out at the end of the first race and on track for what would have been a podium on debut as well. So those guys look fast, and I'm sure they'll be on the podium a couple of times this year if they can. So it's just going to be a very interesting season, you know, without Scott McLaughlin this year. Shane Radgesberg, and he's gone, and he's injured himself, whether it's going to keep him out, you know, this weekend, and we'll see someone else step up, it's really going to make the championship really interesting, and hopefully it goes on to the final race, which will be the Gold Coast this year, Gold Coast 500, yep, that's it, so yeah, hard to predict who will be up there then this weekend, maybe Cup will, will be, because he loves stand-down, yes, Anyway, I think that's pretty much it. Wrap it up for this week. We'll get back into the swing of things slowly. (laughs) Get get on for the Bahrain Grand Prix preview next week. Um, I have a link tree as well, which I'll put in the description this year for all the episodes as well. So that'll take you to our Twitter page, to Instagram, which is just my personal Instagram. If you want to look at any of my photos no race cars of late, you know, mostly just Lego and other things that I've been up to. Well, race car related, I did go to the Adelaide Grand Prix or the old Adelaide 500 track there. Um, They've still got the curbing, which is amazing, but the main straight at the moment is being used as a COVID drive-in testing site, so that was interesting, walking past that and trying to get some photos of the the centre chicane um, and found some old... A affirmer as well from the Adelaide Grand Prix, so some old posters and uh, postcards, this press information uh, kit for the Marlborough Championship team as well from 1985, which comes with a notepad and actually has a stat sheet for all the races and drivers and teams from the 1985 season, so that was a nice find for 20 bucks or whatever, so love little things like that, so yeah, that's that's Linktree, you guys can <laughs> um, click through and um, follow me on the appropriate channels, reach out if you need to, um, we, we, when it comes to Twitter, because that's all basically, that's all that I'm on basically at the moment, so yeah, hopefully we have a good year this year, good year of podcasting, good year of racing, and I uh, look forward to hearing from you all soon as well, thank you very much for listening, and till next week, ciao!